so querying ethics that the good is not you know if we reduce thinking about ethics and morality to distinguishing between you know good and bad or or living the good life it might actually be very limited for all of those imaginings of life that don't fit within those categories that are actually you know just maybe a life with more space uh, in a less kind of normative uh, sense of the word Welcome to this fourth and last episode of Why Ethics Matter, a podcast brought to you by Communitas and the Center for the Study of Ethics and Community at Aarhus University. Today we are in the company of PhD student at the Department of Anthropology at Aarhus University, Maria Rask Bjerg Udgaard. Maria works within the field of gender and sexuality, queer theory, and likes to remain in spaces in between. Such an in-betweenness Marie has found within the field of ethics. In this conversation, Marie introduces us to her field of art, queer lives, and political and ethical horizons in Amman, Jordan. Marie will also show us an example of how to bring the queer as a method or line of thinking into the writing process of her PhD thesis. Now listen up for the conversation I had with Marie. So first of all, Marie, thank you for coming today. And my first question for you is, how long have you engaged with what you consider to be the field of ethics? Mm-hmm. Well, first of all, thank you for having me on this podcast uh, among a group of uh, amazing colleagues that I'm really happy to uh, to think along with. Um, this is an interesting question, like how long I've been engaged with the f- with the field of ethics because I think it actually came kind of the reverse way around so um, so all the way through my bachelor's degree in anthropology and my my master's in anthropology I've been both very interested in gender and sexuality mm-hmm. um, but also quite interested in uh, kind of um, <laughs> remaining with spaces in between both dominant theories but also like um remaining in spaces in between in in ethnographic accounts so ethnographic accounts that were really uh during my bachelor's degree i i really appreciated like ethnographic accounts that dwelled in those spaces like in between the anthropologist and the interlocutor or in between cultural or social understandings um Yeah, these examples of the in between, and so then when I was able to do my my master's field work in Amman, um, where I also did my PhD on some of the same topics, um, one of the things that first interested me was when kind of um, discussions about queerness or uh, gender and sexuality became. Uh, kind of like heavily politicized and how uh, an ethnographic account might nuance those very like politically hot topics mm-hmm. both locally and internationally um, but what happened when I started doing field work that was that quite quickly some of those like really hot discussions you know came a big bit in the background of what was actually happening mm-hmm. uh, in people's lived experiences mm-hmm. in their lives 
So, um, so what I became really interested in was also the role of of art in conveying uh, some of the in-betweenness of living a queer life. So not necessarily mm -hmm. about identity politics or which identity you have, mm -hmm. uh, um, but but kind of which which kinds of life you can imagine and how you can convey some of that in art. Mm. And that kind of left me um, interested in ethics in a different way than I think I had understood um, ethics and morality prior. And so because of a great uh, supervisor who was Maria Lau at the time and still is now, uh, I think I, I kind of you know, this world of the ethical turn in anthropology kind of like opened up to me and I, I looked at it with a kind of a bit of a distance and hesitation and because I came from a different uh, school of thought maybe, mm -hmm. I thought myself to be. Um, but at the same time with this uh, s sense that there was really s uh, tools in the ethical turn for me to remain within those spaces of the in-between uh, both kind of Foucauldian uh, notions of ethics as care for the self or um, yeah, ways you kind of practice the self mm. uh, linked to, to sexuality but also more grounded anthropological accounts of um, you know more laboratories uh, such as share work by Sherry Mettingly mm. um, that kind of got more into the nitty gritties of, yeah, of of uh, of what it means to experiment and to be in negotiation and to be troubled or periled by mm. by the ethical. Um, so I think that was kind of how I turned uh, to ethics, and I guess that was uh, after my my fieldwork, first fieldwork in Amman in two thousand and fifteen. Mm. Um, but of course really inspired by some of the debates that were also really emerging out of Aarhus University mm -hmm. uh, in relation to the ethical. Um, yeah. Mm -hmm. And these tools that you mentioned, mm -hmm. what do you think they do? Mm -hmm. uh, well, I think they can, <laughs> they can do uh, as many things as as there are different ethnographies in a way so the 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 kind of the turn to ethics and morality and anthropology has been very broad and that has also been one of the perhaps critiques that have been launched also in, internally within the turn that very quickly kind of the field grew and haven't we always been discussing morality and anthropology mm. or the ethical um so it can do very many things mm. <laughs> And it can be used on a very kind of um, structural level to point to how moral notions are kind of produced and performed and reproduced in through bodies or through discourse or through yeah everyday interactions. But I think uh, some of those tools can also, as I said, be used to develop notions that are perhaps a bit more ontologically uh, vague mm. in relation to who is the who is the agent of of the ethical mm. um, uh, how do we as human beings also respond to 
larger events in the worlds that we inhabit uh, in ways that are often um, extremely uh, well uncertain and mm. conflicting and and I think that some of those tools allow us to stay within that space because it's a very basic human condition that we are mm. that we are always kind of inhabiting these uncertainties. Mm. Um, together but in various ways like there are very different examples of it but I think it's a very basic kind of human condition mm -hmm. yeah so staying within the uncertainties yeah I think it's um, I think it's the philosopher Brian Masumi that says that ethics is how we inhabit uncertainty mm. together mm. and there's a comma between uncertainty and together that I think is really important for him because he's pointing to the fact that it's also about you know our being together yeah. <laughs> as human human beings and how we inhabit that uncertainty together so rather than you know like um, an idea of the rational agent of course then acting out of certain kind of uh, rational principles <laughs> It's uh, it's more about the nitty gritties of how we actually live together, which can be extremely complicated sometimes. Yeah. Um, uh, and all these dualities between, for an example, exercising care, but also that the other side of care is uh, control, mm. uh, a kind of social control that can also be the reverse side of care or the other side of the coin. Uh, I find is really really interesting. So so staying within those paradoxes that are so apparent when we dwell in the ethical yeah uh, yeah mm. so how is the queer person aside for this possible paradox mm. or perhaps we can start with who is the queer person <laughs> in in your research mm. um yeah that's a really interesting question and i think if you had asked me who is the queer person some years ago uh, the response would maybe be more again an identity response so mm. one that has to do with um, ascribing to or living by certain kind of sexual or gendered identities but that's actually not the queer concept that I'm very interested in anymore mm. So um, the reason why I call my my PhD dissertation um, the arts of living queerly is that it's uh, more about um, ways of inhabiting the world together, where there's more space for experimentation, for um, for dwelling in the strangeness of norms, mm. <laughs> for dwelling in the weirdness of of what we consider normal mm. and I think um, one reading of the emergence of queer theory was exactly that that it was a side of contestation and a side of subversion more than a side of studying particular identities yeah. it was actually the opposite uh, in a way mm. uh, which is also why many people have kind of then ventured back to Foucault to show that this was actually also what he often did. So every time he developed a theory, he would kind of like, or other people would say he would develop a theory, he would say, that's not what I'm doing. No, yeah. I'm doing something else, which was queer in a way. Yeah. Uh, you can see that I'm making these like signs around queer. But um, 
so the queer person, mm-hmm. I have a very hard time answering that question. Mm. Um, the interlocutors that I work with in Amman um, are uh, often artists, so often they work artistically, but that can also be kind of very broad. It can be visual arts, it can be performance arts, it can be kind of more, it can both be like more like a, a, what would you say, fine arts context that they're working in, the medium that they're expressing themselves in, or it could be like more pop cultural art forms. But I think what they, what they share in all their diversity <laughs> is that they're kind of um, negotiating and creating spaces for dwelling in the queerness of mm-hmm. of it all, of why identities are so important, of why uh, moral codes or norms are being imposed uh, on certain people more than others, and how you can reflect on that through art, through interventions in public space, mm-hmm. um, in ways that then influence that space itself. Yeah. 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 So the <laughs> so it's uh, perhaps more a question of what are queer spaces or how can you queer a space yeah. than what is a queer person. Yeah. So yeah. it's perhaps more of a practice and it seems like a collective practice to subvert identity or mm. notions of identity in a way. I think um I think working in Amman uh which is the capital Uh, city of Jordan um, again has also made me think about queerness in a different way so you can say that something is being queered as um, as perhaps like um, as perhaps like a solidarity claim that you see <laughs> that that um, that atmospheres are being changed or that there are discussions taking place about norms or mm-hmm. moral codes without without um kind of rushing to to say what those conversations are all about or what they will necessarily lead to mm. so within the context i'm working has made me i think a bit more hesitant about thinking thinking in terms of like direct subversion in the way that yeah. we perhaps would understand it from queer theory in in a western or in a north american uh sense of the word but more in the <laughs> in the more everyday like in urban spaces in how you can be more attuned to to changing a little bit of mm-hmm. what is going on to to playing around with the objects that you find for example in a in a big city such as Amman like mm-hmm. the the downtown souk where you can buy um, chinese goods that you can play around with that you can turn into a performance of a sort mm-hmm. um and so that atmosphere that it produces in itself rather than which includes all that's already there mm-hmm. <laughs> and all that's already there is a really really important aspect of of um even being able to play around with the atmosphere to queer it in other words so i think my approach to to queerness in that sense is also very much kind of taking into account the importance of what's already there so that could be families that could be the urban space itself it could be um certain identities that um, 
people have historically kind of uh, ascribed to, etc. Like uh, being also very respectful to to that um, uh, in that local context. Mm. Um, and then there's another element to how I think about the relationship between atmospheres and perhaps queerness or living queerly and ethics, which is um, how you can then reflect on that in writing, in mm. the writing process of, uh, of writing an ethnographic account or making an anthropological analysis. Um, how can you create a space in the text for that um, that evokes some of the same affective um, states or sensations that uh, mm. that um, that you see are there when you're kind of attuned to it in in the ethnography or when you're doing field work or um, mm. yeah so that's been one of the things that I've been very concerned with mm. yeah so querying your PhD thesis exactly <laughs> yeah how with, do you do that <laughs> yeah good good question um, no but I think actually um, I think actually. I might be repeating what I said before about the context that I did field work in. So of course acknowledging the all that came before you as part of um as part of how you're able to queer something. <laughs> Which means of course a PhD dissertation has to follow certain standards and there are also kind of speaking of ethics, there are like research ethics that are very important to a research field. Sure to a scholarly discipline, uh, but also allowing for more of the uncertainty to be present in the text. So showing showing all the concerns that you have <laughs> during fieldwork, showing how they're not necessarily attached to you as a person, but that they emerge in the encounter with the, mm -hmm. the other person, with the context that you're working with, um, how they emerge over time uh, as you change your views on certain things. Um, and how you can write um, in a way that produces images that are not still but mm. moving, um, which I haven't exactly cracked the code on, but I'm mm. practicing it very much <laughs> in the dissertation, which I guess is also what that's about when you're doing PhD. Mm. Um, yeah. So, so building building text up around certain images that doesn't that doesn't exactly do that, you know, lock people in a specific place or identity or personality, mm -hmm. but which tries to distort whenever you feel like something's becoming solidified or locked in a category or something mm -hmm. like that, that you write in a way that allows for that, yeah. uh, which is a paradox, I think. Yeah, it sounds like an ambivalent practice in Absolutely. a way, yeah, and a hard one. Yeah, absolutely, mm. but I think that's the the core of it. Mm. Um, it's not supposed to be solvable in a way. <laughs> mm. uh, again, like un, you know, inhabiting uncertainty together is, I guess, also what we sometimes do when we're writing because we're so uh, indebted, but also, yeah, inspired by mm. the people that we're working with. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, and perhaps it's also a practice that we should learn to dwell on, as you say, that 
staying within the uncertainties is something that we sort of seem like that's a practice in the field. That's something we do in the field. We allow the field to uh, work on us. And then we go home and we write our thesis or dissertation. And then that should sort of settle. Mm-hmm. I think that's still like the, the traditional way mm-hmm. of of um, of perceiving that process. But it sounds to me like, like you're trying to uh, um, drag that dwelling into writing in a way. Yeah, I mean, I should say in all fairness that I'm definitely not reinventing the wheel. There are many uh, f- both kind of feminist anthropologists and well, many other anthropologists that are experimenting with um, how to write mm-hmm. uh, that are drawing on like poetic inspiration or fiction in their writing. Uh, and some of them are also here <laughs> at the department at Osh University. Um, but, I, but I think it is a process that needs uh, continuous work. And I think that you can... Um, you can perhaps do field work in contexts that call more for it than others. Mm-hmm. And perhaps also if you're working with interlocutors that are investigating some of the same questions that you are, which mm-hmm. has been the case uh, in my research. Uh, maybe we've read some of the same texts, mm-hmm. um, maybe philosophizing over some of the same existential questions or um so I think that also encourages that kind of dwelling in the uncertainties that you can actually also have a conversation about mm. sometimes. Yeah. 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 And that sort of relates me uh to the question of I, I've been thinking about like what makes the ethical if we look at the ethical as an analytical lens now, mm. what makes it useful and, and perhaps when Mm-hmm. When did that occur to you? Mm-hmm. Was it like in the starting design of of your whole fieldwork process, or was it something that came to you in the field? Um, so I was uh, I was very lucky to be part of the wider research project uh, ethics after individualism um, here at Aarhus University, where both philosophers and anthropologists. Uh, have been having these ongoing conversations for, for many years, also long before I started my PhD. So it's been a really good context to have some of those conversations about what can ethics or morality do as an analytical mm-hmm. lens or a toolbox. Um, but I think that when you're doing field work, so one suggestion could be that mm-hmm. if you're doing field work with people who um, on the one hand are investing invested in critiquing or creatively engaging with the world in a it could be in a very broad sense but also in a very very narrow sense mm-hmm. and on the other hand are are kind of um learning to inhabit or practice already existing norms or moral codes for how you should live live life, the good life, Mm. that's a really interesting place for anthropology and especially for an anthropologist that's interested in the ethical to be. Mm. And I think some of those tools again might might allow us to 
not try to resolve those conflictual and paradoxical experiences mm. that are part of again part of human uh, existence mm. um to try to uh, to try to like define what those paradoxical situations are all about are they mm. about kind of how society works are they about how the individual works but to remain kind of in that space in between um and that of course then means well it can be used for a number very wide range of um of diff- different um cases and situations mm. um but of course there also needs to be an attention to well does that actually resound with the people that you're working with is something that i would really like to highlight mm. does it even make sense for the people that you're working with or are you applying an analytical lens that doesn't make sense also to them mm. so that uh, that's at least something to to bear in mind mm. even if they might you know use other words for it it's it's uh, i think it's always good to be transparent about the analytical lens that you're applying sure. in a way um and this might be kind of taking it very much to the grand scheme of things but i think that we're also living in a in a moment which i guess human beings always think they are but we're mm-hmm. we're living in a moment where the ethical might become something that's more uh, atmospherical in a way hmm. uh because the world is also the climate is working on us in a way that uh, that um that puts us in a in a different situation in terms of negotiating and deciding what is the good life like mm. our um some would perhaps argue that our limitless uh, formerly limitless uh, explorations into what the good life could be and how you could accumulate etc etc mm. might you know the atmosphere might dictate something else for us yeah. uh at some point in the future so i think also like working working with that in mind um is also fruitful for anthropologists mm. and philosophers of course mm. um from my kind of personal experience at least how i think about it now after having worked within that realm mm. uh, of, of the anthropology of ethics and morality for for some years now mm. yeah So perhaps we are just responding to a moment which is of course not fixated but a moment where people in general have um demanding perhaps uh, a bigger ethical um consciousness. Mm. The fact that we live uh we inhabit a planet which is not always going to be resourceful mm. that puts us in an ethical situation with our surroundings with our interrelatedness and the fact that we are ecological beings so how do your interlocutors how do they speak of this does it resonate with them um that you that you write about this mm. in in ethics i think that's why one of the reasons why i've really turned to the more um which is not of my invention at all i think there's a lot of that also in in some f- uh both phenomenological and mm and what we usually call for codian legacies that are interested in the the arts of living so the more um, artistic um experimental uh 
ways of understanding the ethical so that we're well when you're producing an art piece at least for many of the interlocutors that I've spoken with this constant in this feeling of never really getting it uh, quite right so there might be an intimate personal experience that um, encouraged you or provoked you or pushed you to create uh, an art piece it could be a very different kinds but once it's out there it's not this is actually paraphrasing an interlocutor it's it's not you anymore. It's mm. something else. It's like you've, again, kind of paraphrasing an interlocutor who made a great impression on me when she said that it's like giving birth to something. Mm. Um, so there's this newness emerging, but it also has a connection to you that's, that's very disturbing or that's maybe too negative a word, but like puzzling. Mm. Um, because you might have like a very concrete idea of the consequences of some experience that you had or um, of a very personal intimate feeling of your body of your way of being in the world but you but it's also not really yours it's also out there in a way uh, it's also there as an like an atmosphere i think meloponti said that also that sexuality is some somewhat like an atmosphere mm. Um, it's never really mine, it's never really in the other, it's kind of there all the time. And I think about that a bit uh, also in terms of like ethics when I'm, when I've been working with my interlocutors that there's this, um, for some of them there's this like interest in, in creating or imagining a world that might be different that's still you know responsive to to the relations that are already there to to respecting um, what's already there but but that's always also like looking for how to imagine the world in a different way and there's a sense of disappointment of course with things as they are in that even mm -hmm. if you also respect what's already there um, and so they try to communicate that through through art, uh, through performances with their bodies, um, through forming new kind of communities or relations between people, through creating spaces where you can have these kinds of discussions mm -hmm. in a like a, in a non-judgmental way, um, which is also completely impossible because we judge all the time. Uh, <laughs> but there's like a, an ideal of that, of wanting something different of wanting there to be a different space to be in um, and that's what m what made me think about ethics in that more atmospherical way as making space more than as uh, as um, embedded in kind of people necessarily only yeah um, yeah yeah so that's perhaps like because I understand queer as uh, an orientation and an orientation towards something which cannot exactly be accomplished in a way mm -hmm. it's it's also in the future like mm -hmm. horizon um it's it's an idea mm -hmm. or a hope for something better mm -hmm. but not something uh, which is to be obtained in a way exactly and i think a lot of the really amazing queer uh, theorists that have also worked through artworks have exactly pointed to 
to queer as a horizon and I think that mm-hmm. works really well with thinking about ethics also so querying ethics mm-hmm. that the good is not you know if we reduce thinking about ethics and morality to distinguishing between you know good and bad or mm-hmm. or living the good life it might actually be very limited for all of those imaginings of life that don't fit within those categories that are actually you know just maybe a life with more space yeah. uh, in a less kind of normative uh, sense of the word mm. um, which is also what I would love I mean the discussions are already there within the fields of ethics and morality and anthropology but I would love more of those uh, discussions within within the field and I think queer studies and uh, and queer theory can really um can really stimulate some of those discussions, perhaps especially if they happen in dialogue with phenomenology mm-hmm. also. Yeah. Because then we constantly like encourage to stay within what's actually there, what we can perceive, what we can experience, instead of mm-hmm. having more abstract structural discussions, which are also important. Mm-hmm. But uh, but I think we need to also yank ourselves in a different direction Yeah. Um, as anthropologists. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and I think perhaps we can stay there for a while um, because I have this question of how uh, queer studies or thinking queer mm-hmm. perhaps can create some potential for an, for an anthropology of ethics. Like what are your um, points in your PhD dissertation mm-hmm. perhaps about this? Uh, yeah, I think one of the things that I've been trying to do and it's not entirely up to me to judge whether I've been successful in doing so or not and maybe that's also not so important Mm. Um, but to um, to accept that that um, in dwelling in atmospheres which I think we have a very um, privileged access to as uh, as anthropologists doing field work like dwelling in in all of the things that are there when we're doing field work, in all of the sensations that uh, we feel uh, when we're doing field work, but also when we're talking to people, in how people account for how they're effectively uh, affected mm. <laughs> um, in the lives that they're living. I I think that we have kind of a privileged access to to distort a bit what is the like primary um, uh, object of our analysis. So if I'm uh, writing about a performance happening in downtown Amman, I might also shift the focus to the physical surroundings. So dwell a bit on and what the street is usually like on a busy day, how it feels to walk there, um, how people experience their bodies walking in that space, instead of perhaps necessarily accounting for, you know, these are the people who are acting in that space Mm -hmm. and that should be the only kind of focus of my analysis and then do interviews with them, etc. So focusing on also the objects, you know, the mm. objects in a more traditional sense, the things mm. that are there in, in the ethnographic account and what do they actually also do, like what kind of agents are they? Mm. Um, so that doesn't mean that I'm necessarily kind of 
subscribe to A and T or um, or posthumanism in that way. I'm not entirely certain about that, but I th- but I think that kind of the queer perspective can do that without necessarily uh, you having to kind of choose sides on mm. on what the object of your uh, analysis uh, should be. That you're kind of um, moving in between. Yeah. Uh, in the in-between spaces between what we usually perceive as as the main focus of the anthropologist which would be the person mm. even if there are big schools that that have uh, really critiqued that it's still something that's present and perhaps also in phenomenology so mm. so I think queer theory can do that or a queer perspective can do that um, and then another thing is instead of instead of um uh, pointing to the marginal, mm. I think what what my fieldwork has really done, especially the fieldwork, but also reading queer studies, um, is that it's the normal that's really, really weird for me. It, that's my main kind of <laughs> takeaway. I'm constantly weirded out about what we considered consider normal. And I think that's been something that's been present in anthropology all along. Mm. I don't know if we uh, are always very good at reminding ourselves that that was actually also one of the main <laughs> points to begin with, that we're yeah. weirding out the normal, because it's so weird, the normal. Instead of the queer being kind of placed at the margins and then that, you know, the the tiny line of the, mm-hmm. you know, that's on the edge of the normal. Mm-hmm. I, I really, for me, it's been a huge gift in doing the reverse way around. Yeah. So really constantly reminding me how weird what we consider normal is. Yeah. Um, perhaps also if you're a person who, you know, lives a relatively normal <laughs> life, uh, how weird that is. Mm. Uh, and also then, well, turning that gaze inward so it's not only other people's normalcy that's really weird it's also the the normal lives we live mm. and there's so much um uh, there are so many colors to be found uh, in yeah in uh, seeing how the world is really queer mm. <laughs> yeah So in reflecting upon anthropology as fundamentally a queer discipline, we now move beyond this notion and turn towards an example by Marie of how to incorporate the queer into the process of writing. Hundreds of stairways connect Amman's seven hills and they function as shortcuts that produce vertical lines in the otherwise twisty, turny streets that sprawl like unruly snakes in the landscape. On them, in a sense, you have only your body. There are no other vehicles that can move on them but the body. Without those staircases and the body collaborating, going from Jabal Amman to Jabal Alwete would be a much longer journey. Some of the steps stand in stark contrast to the white turned beige limestone that otherwise overrules the aesthetic experience of the city. So some of them are painted in sprawling colors and with graffiti on each side of the walls. They really are spaces in themselves. They're distinctive yet connected to the overall tapestry. And as the sweat starts to spring from your forehead and your armpits, you notice that body of yours once again. It's right there on those stairs between the walls surrounding them. 
So when you walk the stairs from Rainbow Street or Shariah Rainbow to downtown uh, in a body that looks feminine, you might pass men looking at you, the pss -pss -pss sound thrown at you all of a sudden, and your body seems to not be yours anymore, and you realize the surroundings are also confining, the imminent risk of being out of view of the surrounding community. When you reach the end of the stairs, you're in an area with small shops, tailors, and craftsmen, but by, but by the very end of those steps, that atmosphere is punctured by the roaring sound of cars, the many people, the noise of all the coming together which might make you lose grip of the body once again. The staircase is an image of the role of the body and the atmospheric, an image of how this dissertation deals with artists, gender and sexuality in the context that is urban Amman, as atmospheres that are both located right there and elsewhere. That's both intimately mine and completely alien. So I've chosen the image of the staircase as something that's both in between, uh, in between binary oppositions and at the same time distinctively a space in itself. So the atmosphere of walking stairways in Amman neither fully belongs to the subject walking it or to the stairs themselves. So atmospheres are in between and therefore their ontological status are vague. So I think one of the things that that uh, I've been really um, engaged with, but also really challenged by in writing a dissertation that that partially is very inspired by the turn to uh, ethics and morality and anthropology is how you can um, how you can allow for in betweenness and uncertainty in like. In, in ethical and moral terms to be present and to linger in the text without completely losing a sense of what is this all about, what is the objective of your, you know, what are your research questions, what, who are the people that you're working with, if you're very concerned with not wanting to, uh, to like, um, keep people in a certain identity or category. And I think the same goes for, for, uh, for like a Western researcher doing um, research in, in the Middle Eastern context, there are so many potential uh, political discussions about that and there are so many debates that also need to, to continue being had about doing that. Is that a form of Orientalism in itself? But I think one of the ways I've, I've wanted to make my contribution to that is is also allowing for some things to not be explained, um, of allowing for writing atmospheres forward in a way that I hope are felt, but also that are like ambiguously felt by the person who's reading it. Like I do enjoy confusing people a bit when I write, because there's a point in that um, confusion. So what is this? space you know how did it really feel and what are men like what are women like in that space so there are all these like lingering questions i think there that i would prefer remains lingering while of course also being you know critical to all of the potential uh, um, structures that are in place or being reproduced when you're writing mm -hmm. um, like that and again, I think the toolbox is there in the ethical term for for reflecting on that and for writing up images that are a bit more uh, open. Mm -hmm.
to those kinds of experiences. Mm. Yeah. So rounding off with an example of how to bring queer mythology into the writing process of her thesis, Maria shows us a notion of ethics as an atmospheric phenomena and as a way of creating space to dwell beyond the dualisms of ethical, social and political vocabularies. Through this notion, Maria gives us the opportunity to reflect upon the field of ethics as norm critique and as a space for querying academic representation. Maria advocates with such an approach for dwelling or remaining within the uncertainties and paradoxes that we come across in the field and in the writing process. Maria considers an anthropology of ethics as a toolbox for doing just that, making space for staying within the strangeness of norms, including our own, thereby using theory on queer and ethics in a process of turning the gaze inward as well. This podcast was brought to you by Communices, You can visit our webpage at Comunices or our Spotify profile for more podcast episodes.